Wipery gentle people, welcome to another episode of the Culture Wise Podcast where we talk about what's important in Jamaican music and pop culture. You already know who it is. I'm your host, Romy K, and I'm here with the gang. KB is here to my left. How are you doing, KB? We're good enough. Cool. <laughs> Key, how are you doing? How are you doing? I'm great. I'm feeling really good today. I'm the rain just stopped by me. I'm hoping it stays that way because I'm yeah. I'm tired. Of, I'm thankful, but I'm tired. But yeah. How you stay, Rome? Cool. Cool. I mean, I'm good. I'm excited because today we have our first exclusive interview. Round of applause. Round of applause for that. Um, and you know, like I've always said, the guests that we have need no introduction. But I think it's definitely pertinent for us to, to introduce this guest today. So our guest today has had a career in music that, and still does, of course, a career in music that spans over three decades. As a journalist, he's written about music, and especially reggae music, R&B, jazz, and has written in publications like The Village Voice, Spin Magazine, The Beat. He has worked with artists such as Rita Marley, Bonnie Whaler, Scatterlights, some legends in the game. As a commentator, he has appeared on NPR's Fresh Air, MTV's Liner Notes, and CNN. Without any further ado, I want to introduce our guest today, the one, the only, Mr. Randall Grass. How are you doing? How are you doing, Randall? Thank you very much for that wind-up. <laughs> He's problem. really good at that. That's his specialty. <laughs> that's, his, that's his thing. That's his gift. Very good. <laughs> I, mean, I, would, I would necessarily say it's I would necessarily say it's a gift, but you know it's it's something don't that undersell you, you, you get used to over time, and you know you just try to develop it like a skill. Don't undersell right? yourself. You're good. You make us feel confident. I appreciate that. Before we get into the conversation today, you know, I just want to kind of get a, a beat on how how everyone's week you know has been, because I know of course we're in a, a, a pandemic and always have to think about self-care so love to start off with you randall how has your week been you know what's new uh, in your life well uh, both my wife and i have been dealing with various medical issues but um mm-hmm. and also on top of that it was my birthday this week so oh well, happy, happy birthday, birthday. Oh, happy yeah. birthday man. bless I'm up now two thousand years old it's feel- amazing <laughs> full of wisdom i'm sure <laughs> i hope so nice <laughs> nice did you did you celebrate did you go out to dinner or how, how was that uh, I'm not on. I'm actually going out tonight because you know, uh, oh, so. stuff. You know, wasn't good. But yeah, we're going out to dinner right after. Oh, we, we won't this. hold you at all. Don't want to stop that at all. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> you, you, you mess up the dinner date with wifey, and there's a whole host of problems. Yeah, you can't, you can't that. upset she wifey. She wants to leave on time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally, totally fear. Always have to be punctual, right? Um, mm-hmm. So, why this conversation is exciting to me is because over the course of you know this the first season of the podcast we've had a lot of conversations about institutionally you know what are some of the issues and deficiencies of the music landscape within within jamaica right why aren't we seeing artists capitalizing on their talents and getting that connection on the global stage we've seen it in the past but as a collective and from my own perspective it seems like there is a disconnect from when we started the, the let's say the mid 2000s to know right we're not we're not seeing artists on the likes of of shabaranks or on the likes of king yellowman as being revered on the global stage so to speak not to say that the talent has dwindled but not not getting the attention that they deserve from my perspective 
And so that's that's why the, the conversation is super exciting to me because of your experience and because of your current role as general you know, manager at Saniki. I would love to hear about you. What was that pivotal moment when you decided that a career in music was the right fit for you? I never made that decision. <laughs> but, um, you know, I'd always been a, a semi-pro musician. I still play with a band in Philadelphia. Uh, music has always been a passion. I wrote, I, you know, and starting in starting, well, as a musician, uh, when I lived in Nigeria, I played with a Nigerian pop group called Bongos and the Groovies. Mm-hmm. And um, I had always started, had been wanting to write about music just because it's a passion. So starting in the 70s, I started doing that. And then, you know, seven, uh, reggae became an extreme passion starting from the early 70s. Mm-hmm. And um, ironically, I got more deeply into it in Nigeria because at that time, in the early 70s, reggae was more prominent in um, oh, Nigeria wow. than wow. it was in American mainstream. Really? You mm-hmm. know, there were a few artists who were getting noticed, like Twisted the Maytals or Jimmy Cliff, uh, the Wailers. But aside from the handful, there just wasn't a lot of presence for reggae in America. But it was sort of part of the landscape uh, in Nigeria. Um, so when I returned, um, I sort of felt on a mission and... I started a reggae radio show in Philadelphia in 1979 called Roots Rock Reggae. And it was sort of part of the first wave, uh, aside from the Jamaican community. There have been obviously people with shows, you know, in the Jamaican community in Miami, mm-hmm. Brooklyn, and so forth, uh, ahead of, you know, for years. But um, in terms of outside of the Jamaican community, there was kind of a wave of people across the United States, maybe 100, maybe 150, who started reggae shows that were geared toward uh, the general community. So I started that and I I did that show from 1979 to 2002, I think. Um, Although it changed to a World Beat Dance Party in the second half of that period. So it was almost, it felt like a crusade really at that time. Mm -hmm to try to bring awareness. And at that time there was in a lot, in certain sectors, resistance to reggae. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the infrastructure wasn't there hardly at all. Um, aside right. from Island Records and Virgin Records to a degree, no one was releasing the music uh, and so on. Anyway, as a consequence of um, the radio show, I got in touch with Shawnee Records because although they were an Irish music label, yeah. They were importing Trojan records into the United States. And of course, you know, Trojan was one of the major labels right. of reggae at that time. And it was hard to get, you know, they were imports. It's hard to think in this era of streaming and everything accessible <laughs> yeah. online. This was like gold to be able to get these records. In fact, I used to order by mail order reggae 45s from England. Romy K loves records. Romy huh? K loves records. Yeah, I... I'm I'm starting to build my my little you know small collection, but it, you know, it's it's surprising to me that, like what you're saying, that the whole landscape in terms of distribution um has changed, right? Like yeah. you know, if you're not doing streaming, like you're not you're not going to be able to reach the audience and to 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 reach your fans in the way that. Um, <laughs> kind of taking a step back though, like, what were some of the 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 records that kind of shaped your crusade or you know shaped 
your journey running that radio show? Well, like so many people, the harder they come was a complete I revelation. Can imagine, yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, the Whalers' first album was major, not only because it was a great record, but because it was presented, the Whalers were presented as a band. Mm -hmm. They looked like a band on the cover. Folks, the sound was different from anything that was going on at right. that time. And it was fantastic. Um, it was a full me. ensemble. Full ensemble, right. Um, Augustus Pablo, East of the River Nile. I remember when I ordered that record from England and a little 45 came, oh my gosh, you know, this is a, <laughs> a whole new mystical landscape. Um, Almost like Christmas. Yeah, oh really, yeah. Um, obviously Burning Spear had a profound effect. And I was, you know, it was, it was the heavy root stuff that was having the biggest impact on me at the time, Yabby You, for instance, uh, you know, I, I, I got uh, Deliver Me From My Enemies. It didn't even have a jacket. It came <laughs> from uh, London. And uh, it's funny because when I played it on my radio show, a Jamaican mm -hmm. called up and said, why you play Yabby You? Nobody listened to Yabby You in Jamaica. <laughs> That's so similar to our mixtape CD culture, the guys on the street, when you just get a, you just get a blank CD and there's just, except you don't know what's on it. And I guess that's the magic of it out here. Like it's, it's, it's more of a surprise and it's more of a gift because this is just, you're just going to get some music. And this is how a lot of people discover songs back in the day. Yeah. That's right. And that, so that was part of it. It was almost like this magical secret thing, you know, uh, and I started making pilgrimages up to Brook Brooklyn, you know, to hustle promos for my radio show. And, uh, you know, you just run into anybody, you know, it was a very small scene. I would say New York is definitely the makeup for that as well. Like, you know, the, the Jamaican right. culture is unmistakable here, for sure. I have a question. Yeah. So you mentioned that um, the landscape, the reggae landscape was bigger in Nigeria than in America at the time, which is very interesting. And I wanted to get your perspective on if it has shifted now and what you think caused the shift in the acceptance of reggae in America. Oh, well, it was something that happened over a period. It is different now. I mean, the, the, the audience for reggae on an ongoing, well, it's a little hard to judge because, you know, the Nigerian music scene is, 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 is so informal in a, in a lot of ways. You know, it, there's not the ongoing concert scene for instance that there was mm -hmm. in, in the states it was a big event when a, a, a reggae reggae artist would make it to nigeria um in fact uh, briefly a funny story I, when i was playing with this band bongos and the groovies we were supposed to open for jimmy cliff at, at a, a, a venue and when we got there they say uh you know jimmy's not going to show because he was arrested by a nigerian promoter who evidently felt jimmy owed him money or something but Jimmy on his uh, next album, uh, which I think was called Rewind or something like that, mm -hmm. he had a song. He said, uh, I went to Africa, down to Nigeria. They put me in jail. <laughs> <laughs> Called him out on, on the track. Yeah. But anyway, um, what happened in, in America is just bit by bit, the infrastructure built. Like, mm -hmm. like I said, this first wave of radio shows outside the Caribbean community started to spread you know, people could hear the music, you know, on, on a consistent basis. And that laid the groundwork for someone to be able to bring an artist in to perform. And there's nobody to kind of mm -hmm. to kind of be the, the the guide or to be the person to introduce people to 
to reggae for them to even know it's something that they're that they're interested in makes sense right so that was the next piece is when the artist started touring um and uh then labels american labels besides island well what happened in the late 70s early 80s uh version after the early 80s pretty much sort of stepped out of releasing reggae and island stepped back you know um in certain ways i mean they still had mango and they were still releasing things Mm -hmm. but they weren't making the kind of commitment like that they made to the whalers uh until black uhuru that changed uh that they did make a major commitment there so there was a space there and some labels in America started releasing reggae, one of them being Shanaki, mm-hmm. another one being um, a couple of years later, Heartbeat, another being Ross Records. I might be forgetting. Sorry, something. is that Ross or Ross? <laughs> I guess it depends who's right? saying it. <laughs> No, 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 but that's because you know it's different because Ras is Rasta, but Ross is a swear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's funny. That's that's a that's a beauty of patois. So versatile. So that's that was the third piece. Really, you had Mm -hmm. radio starting to happen. You had press starting to happen. You know, uh, like someone uh, I knew started a reggae fanzine. Well, in the late seventies, there were four or five reggae fanzines. These little homemade types of things spreading information mm-hmm. and then you had the, the concerts happening and then you had labels releasing and then all of a sudden now you had the various pieces where the music was accessible yeah. and after the 60s and 70s which had had a lot of um, social commentary and, and, and political uh, aspect to the lyrics all of a sudden there wasn't much Again, made sense in this space so then the reggae came with a message Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a political message. It was a spiritual message. And that, for people who were hungry for that, that, that yeah. was a big part of it. And then, of course, the whole Rasta thing, you know, Rastafari, it, it was novel. It was, and of course, herb smoking, you know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as youths, right, like looking at the, the, the flavor of music that is coming out of the, the island now, like, there are school of thoughts that are saying the youths, being a young artist, don't necessarily have that unction or that that drive to speak out about like you know political issues. Because obviously the political landscape and and the social landscape has changed from when it was in the seventies and the eighties to you know now the now the two thousands. Do you feel like that's why we're not seeing? the level of traction that we saw then because it's just right. a different environment it's not there the with the i guess the rebelliousness that probably mm-hmm. attracted people in the earlier stages maybe what do you think about that randall certainly about- it's not all it you know there's not as much of that coming um out of jamaica and so people who were looking for that you know they're not i mean in a way the way that. here in america has been filled there's a lot of American reggae bands who are carrying on that vibe and they're doing well. Um, so I would say to a degree that's true, but there's also the fact that beginning in the ni- uh, 1990s, you know, there was a real crossover between Jamaican music and uh, hip hop. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that wasn't particularly politically oriented or rebellious, but it definitely had a big audience. Um, but uh, one friend of mine, Murray Elias, who's been very involved in this music for a long time mm-hmm. uh, in a variety of ways, 
um, his theory is that after the 2000s, the beginning, that the dance hall scene in Jamaica suddenly got very insular, you know, yep. um, and very much oriented to just what was happening there and the music, and he even went to went so far as to say, you know what, not as many records made for women, you know, mm. and the women were the key to the dance hall, you know. And so on this. Yeah. <laughs> we so actually talk about, that about watching a bunch of guys standing by the wall nodding their heads, you know. <laughs> That ain't the thing, you know. Everyone so about the man don't so, want the girl him. <laughs> so aside from what what you just mentioned, I, which I think is part of it, the other part of it is I do think the dance hall scene, quote unquote, got much more insular. I mean, the dance hall scene historically in Jamaica has always been very local, you mm -hmm. know. But at certain times, its appeal has been broader. Right. Well, I think it went through a period where it, you know, the appeal is back to being kind of parochial like voyeurism people like to people like to watch and people like to come and see what happens in the dance hall but they don't they don't feel they don't feel a call to be a part of it like how they how the how reggae made people feel it i guess it's not as inviting in a sense but like you said it is it is pretty insular we have been touching on that a lot and um i know christoph has expressed fears that it might um stifle the music and stifle the creativity a bit so I don't know if you wanted to touch on that. If we, what do you mean? If we broaden the the, the scope of the music, yeah. if it might lose the flavor. Um, well, speaking what? as a woman, do you feel that that point <laughs> about uh, women at the dance hall not being as hospitable or as <laughs> interesting? I definitely. I, this is something I've definitely spoken to, um, spoken about with with my friends. Um, I, as a as a consumer of music, I do like the, you know the more violent, the gunman tune. But my favorite part of the dance hall, and we talk about it all the time, the dancing, the dance hall part. And it, I definitely feel, feel the loss of it. And um, while, you know, they still have songs that you can dance to, but it, it, it don't hit the same. It definitely doesn't hit the same. I feel like it's not made with me in mind. It's not made for the Geldem for Benova. And yeah, so... Yeah, it's almost like exhibitionistic now and like yeah. acrobatic and all that, which... And then the guys, instead of trying to create a scene for the women to come out and to, you know, show off and feel good, it's it's about showing off the fact that I have women and I have, and I does, have things. Also, sorry to cut no, you that's fine. Also, it does, it, it does feel like men are trying to impress other men exactly. nowadays instead of impressing women. It, it's very strange, actually. Yeah. yeah. Very strange. Well, I think one thing that's good is the fact that we have new artists coming onto the scene, right? So, you know, Jazz Elise just signed uh, a deal with RCA the other day. We have um, international pop superstar Shensia that queen. is doing her thing, right? So we definitely see a lot of, um, you know, female artists building on top of the legacy of, of Lady Saw and, and Patra and, and doing their thing, right? One thing that we talk about, though, is this whole notion of the globalness of the sound, right? And you have one school of thought that says, why not try retain our cultural heritage as it relates to the, the sonic elements within the sound? And another school of thought says, you know, maybe we should try to infuse different elements, different pop elements, different elements from, you know, hip hop, different elements from, from jazz and from soul to make music that is is 
more global that will resonate with more people that can connect with with more people what's what's your perspective on on how you see music evolving you know for the next five to ten years in with respect to that well i don't think it's one or the other um i think it's down to artists and what inspires them you know i i think if an artist tries to be motivated by what they think will work as opposed to what they think is an expression of them and mm -hmm. is authentic and 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 that they can be great at i mean i think we can have a skip marley for instance who i think who's ever developing him is doing a great Definitely. job. He's still clearly Jamaican, you know? Yeah, and his album was amazing. He's actually our poster child for Neo Reggae. But yet he's doing collaborations with R&B artists and, you know, it's very broad. Uh, at the same uh, time, uh, Protégé or someone like that is, is, he's not doing exactly what's happening in the dance hall uh, that's typical, but mm -hmm. yet it's definitely uh, connected, you know, very strongly. So. And, and then you can have, um, you know, someone like Taurus Riley, who, you know, is coming out of another little piece of the tradition, but very rooted mm -hmm. in that, uh, or, or chronics on another side, you know, who are trying to more overtly maintain the, the cultural tradition. I think any one of them can work, you know, if number one, if they're great, you know, that's important. Talent has to be and there. Number two, if they have the, uh, the, the ambition and drive and number three if they have the infrastructure to help them i particularly like the idea of fusing the music especially music that is produced by the diaspora so or not even just the diaspora but also genres that are closely related to our sound um structure the, the sound structure of reggae so I, i've always thought that we should have been focusing more on trying to tap into the audiences of those genres by fusing our sound with theirs and then marketing to them. Do you think that would be a, a successful strategy? Yeah, if it's good, you know. I mean, what has <laughs> happened music is has people to fundamentally be good. What's that? The music fundamentally has to be. It good. has to be good. It has to excite people. You yeah, know, yeah. Uh, what box it in is not as important as that. Uh, mm. But what's happened is artists outside of Jamaica have been doing what you said. You know, I mean, uh, Africa. You know. Again, reggae has been part of the mix in Africa since the 70s. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people have com uh, combined it with their local tradition. They've combined it with hip hop. And uh, it's been exciting. I mean, in a way, you could say, why didn't Afrobeats come out of Jamaica? Because dancehall is a big part of that thing. It really is. And soca is not something that Jamaicans aren't familiar with. So, you know, it could have happened. Um, because even with the even with the Afrobeat artists, they always shout out dancehall artists. They um I remember Burner Boy had Sirani and I think a couple a few other dancehall artists on it as well. You could you could show that they actually appreciate the culture. Oh yeah, for sure. One thing you said though, um you, you listed out a lot of artists in terms of, you know, reggae artists that are doing their thing now. And, you know, we're coming on to the conversation about the Grammy. <laughs> the Grammys, right? Who 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 do you think is going to take this year Grammys? Because I feel like we have a very competitive lineup. We, you know, we have Taurus Riley, we have Skip Marley, we have um, you know Toots and the Matters. They just released their album um, almost a month ago. Rest in peace. Who, in your perspective, you know? Did you did exactly. you say Protege? I don't know if I missed that one. Sorry. Sorry, Protege. Okay. Protege, okay. Protege was nominated again. <laughs> I mean, he he released the album, so I, I would presume we're talking about the nomination. Yeah. 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 Well, the Grammys are always yeah. unpredictable. I'm a Grammy voter, and it's sometimes bewildering uh, what what emerges there. But um, 
I would, if I was a betting man, I would put my money either on Toots because he just passed and yeah, because yeah. legacy name that a lot of Grammy voters know, even if they don't know three other reggae artists, uh, or Skip Marley because his name is Marley. <laughs> and, no, I, I need to push back against that narrative. I don't think it's just because his last name is Marley. It's brilliant music. Well, I mean, it doesn't I, hurt. I, I'm not, I'm not diminishing his music. He's great. For sure, for sure. For years. It was the Grammys. Anyone named Marley had a good chance, you know, <laughs> because a lot of voters criticize constantly. All the time. No, but it's kind of like the situation where Chronix and Damon Marley were going up for the Grammy at, at the same time. And yep. every, everybody our age was saying Chronix should have won, but everybody above our age was saying, no, Damon rightly won. And when you actually listen to the two projects, Damon's project was a more holistic body is just that it depends on your age and how you experience the music and, and what, what you're looking and what you're what you're looking for out of the music i mean as a like you said the age the age difference might um dictate how your experience with the sound and how maybe the messages that you get out and um so if you're not like a seasoned music listener you're you're more passive you might um you might relate to the chronics album more because it's you know it's like a more inviting format of reggae and then the it was um the damian the damian marley album was that stony hill yeah yes that was you could that was the album of somebody who has been in the music industry it's exactly it yes. touched yes. every kind of song every sound of reggae and then he mixed in my favorite song from the album is grown and sexy and it's a different it's a different see he's making music exact, for the women there it is there it is and it's just a different sound of, of reggae, but as, as Randall pointed out, it's still Jamaican and it's still reggae. I do want well, to about... oh, be sorry, a little sorry, bit sorry, cynical, but when it comes to the Grammys, uh, I, the music, unfortunately, has very little to do we with figured. it. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's about name recognition, and a lot of the voters who vote in these niche categories don't know many artists. Like, a lot of them probably never heard of chronics in that you'd, year you'd think part of the homework would be to listen to the the people on the you'd, you'd think part of the homework would be to listen to people on the list huh maybe have a listening party yeah well the, the grammys have done a good thing in the last year or two they've made uh, it, uh, streams available of music mm -hmm. so at least mm -hmm. people have that option i i don't have a lot of faith that people are actually doing that but you know that at least is a they step should in the make right a playlist of the categories i think that would be great yeah. Uh, yeah that's a good idea yeah. but i do i do wonder because yeah, i mean then they could track the analytics and to say like you know which song gets the most play and have that at least be a factor or a percentage in you know the overall no, but this makes you wonder this makes you come. wonder about the validity of <laughs> award shows or, or awards that is because even if they do listen to the music it's listening to music is purely a subjective right. experience how do you provide True. objective metrics to rank which is better than the other and if if you're saying that it's mostly about name recognition anyway they're not even <laughs> listening to the music then that makes the <laughs> argument even worse because you're you're judging my music but you're not even listening to it i just have to be right. playing politics that's ridiculous well unfortunately that is too much the case with the grams mm. yeah one one thing that that has been a, i would say a central theme in the conversation is streaming and the digital age Right, and we know that in your capacity, you're you're working as as an A and R, right? How has this shift to to being more digital changed how you approach your work and to change like how you scour for talent or how you look for talent? Oh, I'd like to add I'd like to add a point, and and how you sure how you um 
if, if what you consider talent has changed because of the digital landscape, you know what I mean? The, the first part, you know, the thing about streaming and the digital landscape is obviously everything's available, yeah. which seems like a good thing. But on the other hand, it means all of a sudden you're competing with everybody in the world and it's that much harder to get attention. Um, you know, before there were gatekeepers and you could say that that really limited access for a lot of people, but it also made it much easier for those people that got in the gate to be noticed. Um, yeah, and, sure. and there was some type of quality control there too. Uh, right now, you know, <laughs> if you can get your, your, your music up on Spotify or whatever, it's there. Mm-hmm. And believe me, as I'm sure you've seen, a lot of it is just, you know, like wallpaper, you know. Jamie talks about yeah, it but all yes, the that's time. the thing though, like especially in Jamaica with Jamaican artists, if you talk about quality control, all they're going to say is that you're fighting out the ghetto youth. And I cannot I cannot take on that narrative. Right. You're not I want just want a chance. You don't want to give me a yeah. chance. You know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, like you're saying, the music has to be good. And just sometimes you have to be able to take constructive criticism to say, like, you know, maybe I need to put more conscious thought and I, I need to be more intentional about this. I need to develop my, my songwriting, songwriting capabilities or I need to, you know, leverage somebody. But I think um, for Jamaican artists and for artists in general, there is a sense of, of pride, right? Because you're a creator. You're putting something into the world and um you know there is definitely this hesitation that that, that we've seen in like people just just taking that that level of criticism and so it's difficult for anyone to stand out from the tidal wave of mediocrity um the other thing about streaming is be, it's very unpredictable um you know it's in, in the in the past for instance when when the digital space was not so um dominant uh, mm-hmm. if you put out a record by an artist that had a certain level of audience even if it wasn't huge it goes in the stores people could see in the stores it's there and there was a certain level of predictability um for sales but in the streaming world there's no predictability it just depends a are you get on some type of major major playlist that gives you exposure but even then if you if you don't have an instant response then it goes off the playlist or they're looking to see, okay, how your social media numbers. And that's another big factor that social media has become such a driving force. And one aspect of social media is that music is not necessarily the main uh, driving aspect of social media. It might be, you know, uh, personality, how good they look without any clothes on or what kind (laughs) of really stupid thing that they do that attracts attention or what kind of controversial comment you can make that's outrageous that all of a sudden everybody's listening to. And none of that has anything to do with the music. I mean, someone said, would Aretha Franklin have any chance to succeed today? No, no chance. She wasn't a sex pot. She was, yeah. you know, a church girl. Uh, it, she didn't have a lot of the things that in the visual, uh, you know, Instagram era would have been mm-hmm selling points and yet she's one of the greatest artists that ever walked the face of the earth so that's another aspect of the problem it's all been it's all been reduced Mm -hmm. to dollars and data points so it's it's kind of vapid now but but it it kind of 
brings more power to the dollars because the data points you get dollars from all kinds of places it's not even about the music and that's why that's why people can get away with just running up numbers when you have when you have artists telling mm. telling their fans stream my song in your sleep so i can so i can get number one and that, that's a part of the problem too there are, there are too many ways to game the system right so you're, you're not even getting an accurate assessment of how your music is doing it's just you're telling people to to you, there are some people out there even creating accounts or um, getting bots so that they can stream the music more, which is r- ridiculous. And to get back to uh, your other question, um, it's affected artists in a couple ways. One is because people's attention spans are so short, they have to TikTok structure music. the music or there there's a pressure to, you know, if, if someone taps on something and in 10 seconds there's not grabbed and they go to something else, you know, and um, Trust me. that's tough because that changes an aspect of music, you know, the, the way music engages you, you know, some music it used to seduce you, it would start with something, oh, what's that, you know, and then you get into it and so forth. Uh, and even some of the biggest records that ever were didn't catch on in the beginning, you know, uh, yeah. it, t- it took a long time, you know, and I'll even say myself, like, Sade's um, mm. Soldier of Love song. Same, actually. I actually <laughs> felt that way too. But yeah. then I came to love it, you know. So if it had been just down to me, I mean, I was that was when radio was still a factor. So, you know, I couldn't help but hear it. Mm-hmm. And, and I be, began to appreciate it. But if it had been just on a playlist and I put it and I said, okay, after 30 seconds, nah, I, you know, and that's it. So that's a problem. And um, the other thing is the fact that the tools of music creation are, are so kind of, um, they're so accessible and in a way dumbed down. So that's another, oh, in fact, I saw on YouTube once this little video of a hip hop producer. It said, how I create a beat in 15 minutes. So he's oh, there yeah. in the studio and he literally just gets a little bloops and bleeps <laughs> off the computer. And, and yeah, there it is in 15 music. minutes. <laughs> Fast food, fast food music. Fast food music. It's yeah, fast food music. Like you know, it's, so that makes it harder for musical artists that want to do something more, who feel something more. That's what they're competing against. But it would sound like, like to me, that it makes your rollout that much more important. Absolutely. Right, because you know, you know, you know, back in the days we didn't have the means of of marketing you know that we have now like you know now we have the likes of of facebook and you know instagram and we have all these other like mechanisms we're literally to, running to put we're running away create, from being marketed work to there. we're constantly being sold to that like you know exactly you have all these algorithms that are trying to figure out like what does this person like and can we deliver it to them at the right moment in time Right. So it it just stresses to me that artists have to be very intentional about um, getting people to understand the creative idea behind the the entire swath of the project. Right. What what emotion am I trying to convey to them? What did what did the visuals look like? Um, Because people's attention spans now are, are incredibly small. You know, like like you're saying, you go into you go into a track and 30 seconds if you don't like it you're probably never going to listen to that song ever again because of the amount of music that is being created right and and i think 
even beyond that to like the entire personal connection that artists can have, I think is much easier now. And and artists definitely have to to to, to leverage that beyond just the data points, right? Is how can you aspire to build this human to human connection? I wanted to ask, um, as we know you're you're a music journalist and I'm I went to school for journalism, so something that is constantly talked about <laughs> and it was almost people tried to deter me from pursuing journalism because of this digital digital world that we're in. And how I wanted to know if you think journalism in general if it's if it's suffering or if it will suffer and then specifically music journalism because i there you listed so many music um, publications that were around now and today the one that we rely on heavily is like dancehall mag and and complex complex as well but they do a whole they do a whole thing and then um how is it distributed is it still effective in um, bringing people into music and growing the culture. Mm. Well, I think much less so. There's no doubt about it. Just because there's so many different channels for people to get information. So 30 years ago, 40 years ago, you know, a, a huge number of people. Print was still something that they looked to, mm. and um, there weren't there wasn't the level of competition. Yeah, journalism is under siege. Um, that the, the the resources are are diminished you know, because the digital space doesn't provide the level of revenue for journalists, journalistic outlets that uh, print <laughs> do. You know, the level of advertising dollars is not the same. And that means they can't have the same staffs. And then two, they're competing against the instantaneous internet with its, you know, constant, you know, barrage of, of news that might be true and not be true that nobody knows if anyone vetted it at all and it's again geared to that sensational right. aspect that's what, that's what i was thinking people people aren't necessarily interested in learning about music there it's the celebrity culture that kind of is getting in the way of music journalism and I, th I think it's it's part of why um, the industry in Jamaica might you know m might not get the global shine that it deserves because nobody's telling people. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and one thing that I realized just lately, because you know, even though we're not doing as much, well, hard, we're hardly doing anything with Jamaican music <laughs> these days uh, because of many of these factors. I mm -hmm. still you know keep my eye on the music you know because I love it. But there is no real place where you can really get a centralized uh, information on what are the best records or the best, you know, the charts. They listen to culture-wise and find out. <laughs> we, we will gladly fill that gap. We're here to change we the landscape. You got to promote yourself more. Then. We're on it. We're just, you know, we're budding. We're just starting. Like, this is our eighth episode. Yeah. So yeah. getting in there. Good. We're seeing, we're seeing that too, you know, because I would imagine if... I'm a part of, you know, an independent label and uh, I want to get the sense. I'm not on the, on the, you know, on the grounds, in the grassroots. I want to get the sense of what is actually performing well in Jamaica. Then, you know, I'd, I would perhaps look at, look at that chart to see what is trending. And we don't, we don't necessarily have that. And so the level of visibility that the talent internally should get to the, uh, the outward audience, you know, is, is very limited, very limited. I wouldn't say we sure. don't have it, you know, it's just that we don't have, the persons that do it aren't consistent. So you'll see them pop up this week and they'll be trying mm -hmm. something, they'll have the charts and they'll have features on the artists and whatever it is. But then for whatever reason, a month later, they just, they just disappear. 
Yes, that that's something with Jamaicans in general. Um, consistency with with things like that. I notice it. It, it, it falls takes a lot quickly. of a lot of manpower to run any kind of publication. I I think people underestimate the kind of work that that journalists, especially like a music journalist, especially a, a neat somebody with a niche like reggae music, where only reggae comes from Jamaica. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a lot of work, and it's a lot of work to find things to constantly publish and. If if you're trying to keep a certain standard, you're not going to you're not going to write about any and any song, any and any artist, you know. And then it it gets very difficult to maintain if people aren't pushing quality. Yeah. Yes, I agree, hundred yeah. percent. I mean, one source of information, at least for some music, would be a, a great blog, and there are some. But with reggae, I'm not sure I, I have seen one that is really tremendous that represents the current scene as opposed mm-hmm. to the historic. You know, cultural exactly. aspect of the music. For Maybe sure, for sure. We're oh, we're working on Definitely a lot. An idea. We're working on it. We're working on it. <laughs> but but Randall, what, there's one uh, thing I wanted to ask you, and Keisha, if you're listening, <laughs> this is not me. This is a friend asking. Um, so Randall, uh, for someone who didn't necessarily have a music background, um, they didn't really grow up playing instruments or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what I'm saying is that for someone who isn't a part of the music scene, didn't really grow up in it, or doesn't have direct links to it, but wants to become a part of that scene, what advice would you give to that person to actually get? Is it is it mostly about the relationships that you build? Is it just about skill? Is it What, what exactly do you have to do to get into it? Well, when you mean get into it, in what capacity? In the capacity of maybe management, maybe A&R production those kind of things how, how I, I know that you have to build a skill first but once you have that done what do you do well you know i you know this is true of all the music business uh, you i think you just try to find a uh, connection point it could be anything it could be starting to work for a producer as a helper in some form uh, it could be helping out an artist you know in, in a, a very informal way it could be you know, there are still a lot of reggae radio shows, for instance, Uh, you know, doing that or getting involved with that. Um, It it could be creating a blog. Um, Your entry point, there there is no no formula. I mean, there's people in the business that became major people who started by sweeping out a recording studio, you know, when they were kids. Uh, So no formula, you just look to see whatever you can, can grab onto. But I think, as you say, you've got to start from a place of, of knowledge, at least that show you have listened to the music and, and that you have some understanding of it. Right. Okay. So definitely um, appreciate, appreciate that advice, right? Because I mean, it, it puts more power in, in, or puts more control. Right? You have that, that higher level of control over your, um, your destiny than, than you think. Um, so definitely appreciate that advice. Since we're under the whole notion of, print right you know recognizing the fact that you're an author you know you wrote a book called great spirits portraits of life-changing world music artists where you catalog some personal experiences right with with artists like bob marley nina simone augustus pablo why was it important for you to catalog the, the the lives of those artists and the works of those artists. Okay, well, first I can say if you all haven't bought the book yet, it's available through Amazon and everybody. <laughs> shameless plug. Shameless plug. <laughs> no shame in that game. But um, well, 
again, it was somewhat of a missionary <laughs> aspect that I've had with always with music, which is, you know, music, I think, is so so impactful in so many ways, you know, spiritually, socially, uh, just from a pure aesthetic point of view. Um, and I find that a lot of artists, you know, are great, but haven't, haven't gotten their due. Um, and when I started out doing writing and so on and being involved in music, I never imagined that, you know, I would meet Bob Marley that I would meet Fela and even work with him or Pablo and Nina Simone, you know, it was pretty amazing to me because all of these artists, I look as giants and, you know, absolutely, they had, I said, I use the word life-changing because I do know that yeah. they change people's lives because people say that, you know, some different ways and different reasons for saying that. But um, that's pretty, uh, pretty powerful that someone can change people's lives through music um, and um, as I say in the book, I mean, uh, you know, Bob Marley, there, there are people in New Zealand that when they smoke a Smith spliff, they talk about it as a Marley, you know. Wow. They're, they're, the insane. rebels in Zimbabwe carried copies of Peter Tosh's Equal Rights. You know, a million people That's turned insane. out for fella Anik Dulapokuti's funeral, mm -hmm. a million um and james brown stopped a, a riot in boston you mm -hmm. know just by him cooling things down and saying we're going to do a show yeah. you know be cool so the power of that is extraordinary and i wanted to give people uh you know most people have heard of bob marley but many of the others that i wrote about a lot of people don't really know that much about him and i wanted to give them a personal way in because i think that personal connection can help make it relatable for sure. What what was that experience like? Actually, meeting <laughs> Bob Marley. Like I, th that's Bob. something that a lot of people, especially my age, yeah, I cannot even relate to. Like, what was that experience like for you? Well, going abroad, you going abroad for school, people still people ask you if you know Bob Marley. <laughs> yeah, true. true. <laughs> well, when you buy the book, you'll get. But um, uh, which we will. Um, we will. <laughs> it was funny because it was really supposed to be just an interview. Yeah. Um, you know, he was coming to Philadelphia to perform and I was going to interview him for my radio show. Uh, yeah. When I arrived for the interview, I walked in, there's like 30 people in the room. Because that's the way it always was. The with Bob, you know? I mean, always this large group of people, some part of his own entourage, but many other people who just were there. They just wanted to be <laughs> there that. in his presence. So what it, what it really turned into was a kind of a mass reasoning session. Oh, um, nice. Bob was sitting in the oh, middle of the chair and, you know, people were asking questions and he was, nice. I still have a recording of it. It's, it's really quite amazing, you know, and, and the questions ranged all over the place, you know, everything from what was the meaning of Rasta to, you know, what did he think of disco to what did he think of the move movement, movement in Philadelphia and you know, Bob is just tremendous because he, he was so down to earth, but yet he was speaking of some higher truths and mm. he had a great sense of humor and he's self-deprecating. He told a story of when they were in Zimbabwe for the independence concert and, you know, some there was some trouble, you know, with some people trying to get in the show. They fired tear gas and Bob and the Whalers ran off stage and Bob laughed. He says, well, I guess we know who the real revolutionaries were. <laughs> He even says something, he says, uh, we never have too many faults, you know, just plenty women. And he's laughed. At least, you know? at so least like he's self-aware. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it was just strong, you know, just powerful. 
Love that. Love that. Um, so, with respect for time, I would love to kind of just a, a final question, connecting the past to the present. W- one artist that you're 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 hopeful to see them growing to that <laughs> that stature or, or that or somebody you think right could could rise you. or could per- potentially you know get onto that level. <laughs> Not even even if it if they don't, because we've talked about all the different um, factors that you know make it hard to mm-hmm. explode, but. Who do you think can be a star, like considering all these different variables that we talked about today? Well, yeah, through, you know, there are different channels. I would say, you know, that coffee's obvious talent and her um, she's not doctrinaire in a sense, if, if you know what I mean. In other yeah. words, she's coming from a certain direction, but it's not. She knows, for instance, like the dance hall culture and the ghetto culture, but she's her mind goes beyond that. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's already showing some signs of reaching in different directions. Um, so mm-hmm. that's a, a very um, that's a very promising thing. Although it's still very early for her, I almost feel like it's happening too fast for her. It's yeah. crazy. It's all. Yeah. It's been a year. Yeah, and I worry about that because I think she needs development. Skip Marley, I really think, you know, he's of of all the Marley's descendants, he might be the most kind of accessibly talented it's funny that you mentioned those two <laughs> names because we actually had an episode about neo reggae new school reggae and those were the two examples that we used as su- successful examples of what neo reggae can achieve and can do yeah it's it's yeah for sure and and, and i think an interesting call out too is skip on skip marley's album the first track starts off with a with a soliloquy from from bob and what we're saying is it was almost like a passing of the guard or a passing of the baton to the to these new artists and definitely like i think you know all the right ingredients and elements are there for skip to to be successful it really comes down to you know his his level of work ethic and i, and I think the family that he's grown up in I, I i wouldn't necessarily see that as a problem so for sure he's definitely high high on our list um, yeah. He hasn't had a lot of music out, but he's he's a couple of his things have been really high level, and I don't know if he has the total package together, but certainly I think he's very good. Nice. Nice. Well, the conversation has been simply amazing. Oh. Cannot um, thank you enough, Randall, for being on on this episode. Really, really appreciate all the insights and all the gems that you dropped for sure. Thanks, well, sir. Thanks for being on the episode, Randall. I appreciate it. I enjoyed it too. So, and good luck as you develop this, uh, you know, programming, which I think Thank is you very so much. high quality. I appreciate that. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's Randall Grass, people. And remember to nice. buy the book "Great Spirits: <laughs> Portraits of Life Changing World Music Artists," available on Amazon. Yes, sir. Sign. You're gonna sign us out right here, Rome. Sure, I, I can definitely do that. And on that note, thank you all for listening to another episode of the Culture Wise Podcast. Please remember, adhere to social distancing. Share the pod with all your friends, your family members, your mom. Yo, we, we, we love the support for the podcast and we want you to continue that into the future. So just share the pod, you see it? And always remember, don't do it for the likes, do it for the culture. Stay culture wise. I'm your host, Romy K. Sign out until next time. Peace.